Hello, it's David here. Thanks for dropping in on The Leader. If you like what you hear, maybe you should subscribe. Just hit the button on your podcast provider. We record on the day of publication, so it's always the most up-to-date commentary and analysis available for your commute home or however you listen to your podcasts. We'd love to see you every day at 4pm, so please do hit that subscribe button. Now, from the Evening Standard in London, this is The Leader. Hi, I'm David Marsland. An unreserved apology, a six-figure payout. Labour admits it defamed a journalist and its own former staff who called out anti-Semitism. It's another very depressing first for the Labour Party and um, a very damning legacy of Jeremy Corbyn. Our columnist Aisha Hazarika assesses the fallout with a European Human Rights Commission probe still to come. And... The moment Boris Johnson said go back to work. I think everybody noticed that it changed that following Monday morning and how poor the air became. Dr Ian Walker, an environmental psychologist on how to get people back to the office. Taken from the Evening Standard's editorial column, this is The Leader. For the whole thing, pick up the newspaper or head to standard.co.uk slash comment. In a moment, Labour says sorry. This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharmadine Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. In what's understood to be a legal and political first, the Labour Party's agreed to pay substantial damages to seven of its former staff members and a journalist who investigated anti-Semitism in the party. The ex-employees all appeared on John Weir's Panorama probe, Is Labour Anti-Semitic?, which was broadcast on the BBC in July last year. After transmission, the party went on the attack, calling the whistleblowers disaffected and claiming they had personal and political access to grind. So the group sued for defamation. Our columnist Aisha Hazarika joins me. Aisha, we understand this has never happened before. It's an extraordinary precedent for Labour to have set. It is. It's it's another 
very depressing first for the Labour Party and um, a very damning legacy of, of Jeremy Corbyn. Remember, the Labour Party was also, um, well, apart from the BNP, it's the first major party to be investigated by the Equality and, and Human Rights um, Commission. But the, what, what's happened today is very interesting. The Panorama did a programme on the problem with anti-Semitism in the Labour movement last year. And a number of Labour Party staffers acted as whistleblowers. They went to Panorama, they had information, they had evidence, they wanted to tell their story. And instead of saying, we're appalled by this, let's talk about it, let's have a dialogue about it, Jeremy Corbyn and his advisors decided to launch a full frontal attack on the whistleblowers and the journalist John Ware, who was fronting up the, the programme. This has all gone to court and Labour's under new management now of Keir Starmer and the Labour Party has correctly, in my view, and in the view of many others, have taken the decision to settle this out of court and make a fulsome apology to those whistleblowers and MP damages. But this was a programme broadcast a year ago, and as Sakia Starmer said at PMQs today, Labour is under new management. Does it have any bearing on the Labour Party today? Why this is important is that a huge part of the, the downfall of the Labour Party and the, the tarnished reputation was linked to anti-Semitism. And this was an issue which Jeremy Corbyn and his team and his outriders just refused to take seriously. They always had excuses. They always found mitigating factors. They kept saying, look, you know, we're not anti-Semitic, but, um, and there were all these excuses and it just snowballed and things got worse and worse and worse. And so what Keir Starmer is trying to do, and this is one thing he said very clearly when he ran to be leader of the Labour Party, that he was going to take a very different approach from Jeremy Corbyn and he was going to have a real kind of no, no tolerance, a zero tolerance approach. And he said he committed publicly to members, but particularly to the Jewish community, who've always historically had a close relationship with the Labour Party, that he was going to root this out, he was going to have no truck with it. And so I think we're seeing that today in this um, apology. It's also useful for our listeners to be reminded, Keir Starmer recently um, sacked his shadow education secretary, Rebecca Long-Bailey, because she shared um, an article which had some anti-Semitic tropes in it. So he's, he's trying to show the world that he does take this seriously. But it's going to be very interesting when this Equality and Human Rights um, Commission report comes, in, which will be soon now. Yeah, I understand there is a, a rough draft of that available now. A line can't be drawn under this era until that's out, can it? And do you think Labour will be nervous about what's in there? The Labour Party has a sense of what is going to be in there and I think it will be very damning on the Labour Party and what is known as institutional or structural you know, problems and, and racism and anti-Semitism against the Jewish community. That means that there were procedures and practices in place that just turned a blind eye to this and didn't, didn't sort it out. I personally don't know. I'm sceptical skeptical about whether the report will actually call for Jeremy Corbyn's resignation or for him to have the whip removed. There's a rumour circulating that maybe Keir Starmer might remove the whip from Jeremy Corbyn. 
now i'm not sure about that and i'm not sure if the the um commission report will, will go that far but i think it will be pretty damning on the labor party now that is a real moment for keir starmer that's a real moment for him to show that he is serious about trying to rid the labor party of anti-semitism and i think that will be a test for him as well but he knows it's coming down the track he's almost set himself that test and i think he'll be pretty muscular but Jeremy Corbyn, it seems, is not going gently into the good night on, on this. Um, it is rumoured that he actually was, was contesting this apology from the Labour Party, along with Seamus Milne and Jenny Formby. Uh, Seamus Milne was his director of communications and strategy. Jenny Formby was, was the general secretary. And um, Len McCluskey... Uh, who is the head of Unite, that's the really influential trade union in the Labour movement, very, very close to Jeremy Corbyn and Jenny Formby and Seamus Milne. He has said that, um, that, that he pushes back against this apology. And it, it's rumoured that Jeremy Corbyn is, is set to make clear his own opposition to the Labour Party apologising and making this settlement. So this row is not going to go away. But if you're cynical, this actually helps Keir Starmer, because if Jeremy Corbyn is looking like he's causing trouble on this, that does give Keir Starmer the opportunity to slap him down. And, but he must do that. And if he doesn't do that, I think people will, will question how serious his mettle is on this topic. Next. Commuters are getting back in their cars for the great migration back to the office. We ask environmental psychologist Dr Ian Walker if there's a better way. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Driving tests have just restarted and the queues of learners outside this centre in Wandsworth were round the block from first thing. Sales of used cars are also up. They're back to pre-lockdown levels with 12,000 a day being sold in England last month. It's an indication that as people are expected to start going back to work, they're choosing to stay away from trains and buses. But our editorial column says the resurgence of the car is a failure in public health messaging. Guidance from government is all over the place. We're told we can use public transport if we really want to. But operators aren't being encouraged to welcome people back and are still trying to keep them apart. That's not what's happening elsewhere in Europe. In France, trains are full this summer. London has been left in limbo. Pubs are open. Gyms come back at the weekend. But office life can't return without a public transport system. People who run London's transport and national trains are being frustrated by indecision in government and the mayor's office. 
catch a holiday flight this weekend, and the chances are every seat will be packed. So how have we ended up flooding London streets with polluting cars, while leaving our amazing transport system a ghost town? With me now is the environmental psychologist, Dr Ian Walker. Dr Walker, can we get people back to the office without them using cars? There's quite a few other ways to get to the office. It's understandable that people are nervous about public transport at the moment. You know, the idea of being in closed spaces with other people is obviously something we've all been warned about recently. Um, But what people need to be doing at this point before just rushing headlong into grabbing the car or even buying a new car People need to be looking at what their goal is. And generally, the goal is not to have a car or use a car. Generally, the goal is to get to work or get to the shops. And it turns out when you look at it in that way, a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people have a lot more options. And one of the ones we've been talking about a lot recently, especially with the Bike is Best campaign, is trying to encourage people to look at cycling as an option that will work for a lot of people for a lot of their journeys. Can cycling though work in a big, busy city like London, particularly if those roads start getting busy again? Well, it's a a bit of a... I almost said it's a two-way street, and I caught myself as I was saying that. Um, There's there's more than one thing going on. Uh, On the one hand, above all, let's just cut to the chase, Above all, what we need is policymakers, the people who run our cities, to be creating an environment where cycling and walking feel easy and where they feel safe and where they feel convenient. And above all, that needs to come from the top. We need people uh, redesigning our streets to make them work and make them safe. And we need people using them responsibly. So, for example, we need people not driving dangerously in city centres, moderating their speed, and even not driving into city centres as much as possible. I think during lockdown, well, I know that scientifically it was proven that pollution levels have gone down, but I think people genuinely noticed. Will they notice as quickly if pollution levels go back up? Well, anecdotally, I think they already have. I think the moment uh, Boris Johnson said, go back to work, uh, everybody was, I think everybody noticed that it changed that following Monday morning. We were straight back to where we were. And the number of people I've just met personally who've commented how poor the air became when we got back in our cars and vans Uh, I think everybody's aware of what a difference it's made. So it can be done then. We can safely go back to work without having to rely on cars to get us there. In an awful lot of cases, one of the figures that always preys on the front of my mind is if you look at national travel data, the bulk of journeys in this country, the bulk of car journeys are extremely short. You know, half of our car journeys are under five miles. Most of those are done with one person in the car. It's an incredibly inefficient way to get about in urban settings. And so many of those journeys, not all of them, but a huge number could be done by bike. 
And that's The Leader. You'll find more on these stories in the Evening Standard and online at standard.co.uk. We also have morning briefings available at 7am through your smart speaker. Just ask for the news from the Evening Standard. This podcast is back tomorrow at 4pm.